Welcome to this last lecture for week three. Our focus this time is on spirituality, suffering, and counseling dynamics. We need to spend some time on this topic because suffering is a universal descriptor of nearly everyone you'll see in counseling. It is very important to understand this spiritually as a way of helping us deal with the suffering of our clients and how our shared suffering stems from our role as wounded healers and it becomes a source of healing for them. Let's consider some dynamics behind these questions. Henri Nouwen has offered us the term wounded healer. It is also a term that has been used by Carl Hume as well as a term related to Greek mythology. Our greatest example of a wounded healer in all of history is our Lord Jesus himself. He was the one prophesied about in Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant and through his wounds we have been healed. As Nowen reflected on how healing had come into his own life through Jesus, he laid out a way of understanding the counseling ministry in terms of being a wounded healer. For counselors entering into the suffering of others can be painful. There's a special connection with wounded clients in the counseling room. That connection of empathy and compassion, which brings tremendous healing to hurting people, but which also brings a cost to the counselor. Paul spoke of the way in which we share in healing and suffering together in 2 Corinthians 1.7 when he said, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. It is in the Christian counseling dynamic that Christ makes himself work through our wounds. Using a theological term, we might speak of the incarnational presence of Jesus as we share in the sufferings of others. And there is a tremendous strength in the solidarity that we have with hurting people as we make our wounds available as a source of healing. We have been and we'll be talking throughout this course about how we can make ourselves available to others. And it is perhaps an area of counseling practice that requires taking great care, but also learning how to disclose yourself, how to express empathy and compassion without becoming overly disclosive and distracting to the client. A primary way we express solidarity is through hospitality. This is the heartfelt welcome we give to those who have been persona non grata, feeling unwelcome in many areas of their lives. Hospitality involves focusing on that individual, concentrating on their needs and their personhood, and as trust is built, confronting those areas of sin and fallenness in their lives, which may be a major source of suffering that worsens what they're enduring. There are several underlying questions about an individual's desire for healing and their desire for counseling. One of these questions is about the nature of suffering. People need to talk about their suffering and about the causes and meaning behind their suffering. The most ancient way that people have thought about suffering is in terms of punishment 
It is one of the major questions we have when reading the book of Job. Is Job being punished for his sins? Many of his so-called friends thought so, and they strongly encouraged him to confess his sin and perhaps be able to receive forgiveness from God. They saw Job's suffering as punishment that he deserved. And you'll find that many people today are wondering, what did I do to deserve this when they're suffering? Is this a punishment from God? Now it is certainly true that sooner or later, suffering comes from all people because suffering is the result of a fallen creation. But sometimes we bring suffering upon ourselves. Sometimes suffering is the result of disobedience to God's commands. Sometimes suffering is our misuse of our gifts and the opportunities and human freedom that we have. Sometimes suffering comes in the form of internal dissonance. This psychological term points to the condition in which a person is behaving in a way that they know to be wrong and destructive, but they keep doing it anyway. So perhaps a real source of suffering is that sense of tension, that sense of being unsettled and fractured within, that sense of dissonance that comes from the conscience and the heart when living a life that we know is off track. Sometimes our suffering comes from a loss of our roots or foundation, which would certainly be true in cases where we're counseling people for extreme grief. The suffering here is the sense that what they had most counted on, such as a person, a job, or a relationship, is gone, leaving them hopeless. When counseling depressed clients, sometimes the nature of the suffering is that deep core of hopelessness that they feel. Now depression is distinguished in many ways, but two key characteristics seen in nearly all depressed clients is first a lack of hope or hopelessness, which is a lack of belief that things will ever turn out for them or that they will ever be happy again, and second, helplessness that they cannot get out of feeling depressed. If people have nothing to look forward to, no goals, no vision, then they have no reason to help themselves or try to get better. And eventually they feel helpless about being able to do anything about it. And that is true suffering, to have no hope and nothing to look forward to. Sometimes people suffer under the condemnation of others. Often in families, a person suffering from a mental illness feels condemned by the other family members. They may also feel condemned by co-workers, or their peers at school, or maybe their friends. Or maybe they've engaged in public wrongdoing and feel ashamed of their behavior along with the condemnation of others. Another example is when suffering comes in the form of idolatry. When we make anything or anyone other than God the central figure in our lives, we suffer from a form of idolatry. The most common way we see idolatry in the counseling room is in the form of addictions, usually addictions to alcohol, drugs, sex, food, 
when a person is addicted to a substance, they are committing a form of idolatry, and it will always lead to tremendous suffering. Here's a list of several responses we can have to suffering clients. We've spoken a little before about hospitality, but by simply extending a warm, genuine, compassionate welcome to suffering individuals, we open up a powerful healing dynamic in their lives. Remember the portrait painted of Job's friends when they came to be with him. It says in Job 2.13 that they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What a picture of solidarity! To come and share your heart and your life for seven days without speaking a word. So often that kind of solidarity of presence, when word fails us, is what someone needs the most. I would encourage you to really reflect on that story as you ponder your counseling practice and how to deal with those times of silence in the counseling room. Many students beginning their counseling ministry fear the very thought that they won't know what to say or what to do when the client stops speaking. But to simply be there in solidarity with a suffering person has great value. And we'll discuss in a later unit how you might use prayer as a way of reaching out to an individual in those moments of silence. Now, in responding to suffering people, it is important that you clarify your role as you deal with that person's suffering. Many clients come to counseling because they're hurting so badly that they can't avoid it any longer. And they're there hoping for immediate relief and inspect you to relieve that suffering. We have to make it known for them that we're not magicians and that we do not have the answers or the solutions to all of their problems. While what we can do is extend compassion and care to them, we don't have some sort of magic wand to simply make that suffering go away. In explaining and clarifying your role, you really are providing healing to that individual. Another point is that for many people who are suffering, they simply have no one to talk to. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to admit that none of us actually enjoys hearing about the problems in the lives of others, since it can be very painful to hear about broken relationships, failures, and other people's sins on a regular basis. So not only do we learn to listen with our ears, but we learn to listen with our eyes by studying the body language of our clients, carefully studying the way they look and they act as they describe their suffering. Don't underestimate how important it is to be an astute observer of what is not being said, to be looking for body language and nonverbals that may help point out faulty thinking that a client is having about suffering. Then, as we develop a trust relationship over the sessions, we can also begin to confront that faulty thinking. Some suffering in our lives is unavoidable. Some of it is actually redemptive. But much of it is needless, 
Here's where you can often provide immediate relief to a client by helping them to identify needless suffering in their lives and to encourage them to make changes to alleviate that suffering. This begins to allow them to move from feeling hopeless to being hopeful. Everyone wants to see progress in their life. Everyone wants to feel like the efforts they are making to improve is showing results. So to help a person get immediate results can be very powerful and helpful and is ethically required of us as helpers. Lastly, it is also important for us to learn to be focused in prayer that is appropriate to the client's level of faith development and appropriate to our level of relationship with the client. Now we're going to take a moment to look at a number of insights into the power of hospitality and having a welcoming response to people. Without using inappropriate self-disclosure, hospitality can be very empowering to our clients by helping them to see you as a real person, someone who's not perfect, and who also experiences suffering as a part of life. In counseling, hospitality is that ability to pay attention to the suffering of another, to not turn away, to not withdraw. Perhaps you've had the unhappy experience of knowing someone who has passed away and going to the funeral home to visit with the family. It is interesting to watch people's behaviors in situations like this. Sometimes you see people have so much trouble being around the suffering of others or feeling like they need to try and fix it, but just end up feeling more inadequate and so hurry through the process of grieving. We provide a great healing service to people by simply paying attention to their suffering and concentrating on their needs without feeling a need to do something about it. Another point about hospitality is that it is balanced. It is grace, but it is also truth. Grace and truth in dynamic balance. Remember the prologue to the Gospel of John. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. We need both, don't we? We cannot live without the grace of God, but we don't know how to live without the truth of God. Sometimes you will find that our clients come seeking grace, even if they don't know how to use that word. They're looking for grace. They're looking for an unconditional positive regard from anyone, and we certainly can offer that to them. But they also need truth. They need to receive the truth from us in a way and at a pace that they can hear and they can accept. Both are necessary for hospitality, and this whole process begins with feeling at home with yourself and learning to be non-defensive in your space as you receive a new person, a stranger, into your life. Now in most cases, those we counsel come to us as strangers. But that person is not only a stranger to us, they've become strangers to themselves, to God, and even a stranger to their family and friends. So an important part of hospitality is to help convert that stranger 
into a friend. Prayer is an important part of that conversion experience and taking the risk to welcome a stranger, to allow them to walk into your life and for you to walk into their life by asking the tough questions and to care enough sometimes to endure their anger and tears, that is the real hospitality of the Christian walk. We cannot underestimate the power of welcoming sinners in a way that shows true love, regard, and respect for them because it is powerful and life-changing. Remember the story in Luke 19 where Jesus calls Zacchaeus down out of the tree and says, I must come to your house for dinner. That man's life was transformed forever by that kind of hospitality. And it can be true for the people that we counsel as well. Simple acts of hospitality are among the most powerful therapeutic dynamic there is. The subject today has been dealing with inner space dynamics, which is creating a process of change from the inside out. Our work as Christian counselors is to help people learn to create an inner space, an inner freedom that they lack, a free space of forgiveness, of reconciliation to God, in which He freely welcomes and accepts them in full knowledge of their sin. It is often true that people become so enslaved in their guilt and shame that they can see no way out and end up being in total bondage. So maybe just the beginning insight that God knows their sin but still welcomes and loves them begins to create a tremendous free space and we model that in the way we accept them. To help people increase truthfulness in their life is a key element in creating inner freedom and confronting illusions. Sometimes those illusions come in the form of faulty thinking or sometimes they come in the form of distorted emotions and long-held prejudices but they always have the same effect. They draw people away from the truth. They create a strong sense of being in bondage. I hope that you have found these presentations on spiritual formation issues and spirituality and counseling to be helpful to you. And may God bless you in completing your reading and studies this week.